Good morning, Jamie. How's it going, Keith? Oh, it's going pretty good. I have the day off today. It's President's Day, and uh, yeah, the employer was gracious enough to give us this this one off in America. Oh, good, good job, good job, employer. Yeah, so just chilling out and uh, trying to find some time to uh, to some work on some things, but it hasn't been working out real great for me. Uh, child things getting in the way. Yeah, I had not even I'm just going to dig into my last two weeks because I didn't even think about what those two weeks were going to entail before I made my goal for the two weeks. And that was, yeah, I'm so our like normal, most of the time that I get to work on stuff is in the morning after Kendra goes to work. So she's commuting and she has eaten with her for two days a week. So these are like prime time. Keith can actually work on some stuff. Well, uh, our normal babysitter, which is Kendra's mom was on vacation. So we had a different babysitter and Kendra's like, um, Eden, sorry, is actually basically afraid of other humans at this point in life. Uh, being 10 months old, she just has a stranger anxiety. So this babysitter came over here, which meant I was watching Eden right up until the moment I needed to start working. Babysitter would come here and watch her from our house, which was weird and distracting all at the same time. So I didn't get literally any of that time to uh, to do anything for all of last week. So I had one week. And uh, hmm. I spent a good chunk of that week doing some things that were interesting, but did, didn't actually move the needle on the project that I was going to be working on. And that was mostly moving my development environment over to be on Windows. Oh, wait, what? Yeah, I know. Right. Weird, huh? Why? Nobody. Why, why would you expect the Spanish Inquisition? Um, well, be, because I own it. Right. I, I don't actually have a personal MacBook anymore. I have my work MacBook, which is, you know, it's nice. But uh, at a certain point, if I'm working on things that are not work related, I shouldn't be using that device probably. So I decided, ah, well, we'll see what I can do using Windows. And uh, turns out it's not bad. Not actually bad at all because. So, oh, go ahead. Ask me. Questions. I was just going to ask, what, what does it look like? What does it entail? So I have been I've switched off of Vim for a while now because for teaching people, I confuse people to no end when I teach using Vim because I have so much ingrained muscle memory and uh, a speed about going through things that it makes me subconsciously do things that are way too confusing to people who are not Vim people. And since I'm not teaching courses that are about Vim, it led to what I thought was a distraction and took away from the experience for the students that I was teaching. So I switched to visual studio code because it has a Vim mode. So I can still use some basic parts about Vim that I like. So modal editing and stuff, but I I'm sort of prevented from doing some, some of the crazier uh, goofier things that I would sometimes find myself doing in Vim and visual studio code works on every platform. So I'm pretty good in that situation. That, that is like the first step is I needed an editor that would work everywhere. And, okay. Uh, so that, that one worked. Uh, and the windows subsystem for Linux or WSL is, is basically the other thing that ties this thing together. So what are the concessions that you're making with using that, the Linux for windows thingamabobber? Uh, I haven't found any yet. It was a pain in the butt to get it kind of set up. And I really wish I had documented this, but I think I followed something from Brian Hogan on some of it. And then I found some other things to sort of modify some, some things. I should really write a blog post or something about it, but it really, since I, I do a lot of work on Linux anyway, just, I mean, in my day to day when I'm creating courses and stuff, I do it literally all in Linux. Right. So 
yeah, that's not too bad, but, um, it feels pretty good really like my, my dot files and stuff are portable so I can put those in Linux. So my, my shell feels good and, uh, I don't seem to have too many issues there. And I was able to get it to work with Docker for windows to, to launch things. So I can still connect to things on local host and have the same sort of niceties that I would maybe have if I was using Docker for Mac. And since I use Docker for most of my projects, when I'm spinning up dependencies or different servers and stuff, then that was a nice little thing for me to work with. And since I just have it set to like, I use the terminal inside of VS code, which is way better than the windows lack of terminal, Hmm. even though there is a windows terminal now, I think, but I don't know if it's out of beta or whatever, but so that feels exactly the same way it does on my Mac. And really I'm running into a situation where now I just have a beefier machine that uh, can handle things way faster than my Mac can. And I'm able to do my development on there. And the uh, one of the problems I have with Windows is actually that I think it renders things really stupid. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't do high DPI the same way Mac OS does, no. which and the fonts look horrible. The fonts are the worst thing about Windows, I think. So Visual Font Studio Code there. looks good, right? It actually yeah. looks fine. Like I use the same fonts that I use on. I think I'm using Source Code Pro, maybe like the Adobe um, monospace font. But it looks good, and yeah, everything seems to be uh, going rather swimmingly for me. And since I can, I have settings sync for VS Code, so I don't even have to like my configuration sync. So if I make a modification to how I want some things configured, it goes between my various devices, and everything is good to go. Is that does that um, does the terminal inside VS Code allow you for like multiple windows and things like that? So you can have your like server running, and then yep, yeah, you can have different. Uh, like it has little windows and then you can also like do splits in it too. Mm. So if you want to have two side by side kind of down there, you can do that. And then you can hide it and pop it back up as you need it too, which is kind of nice. I always have it there as like a bottom panel, basically the same way I would have back when I was using Tmux all the time. I always had a terminal at the bottom so that I could just mm-hmm. like smack down and go down there, run some command and then uh, pop back up into my editor. But yeah, it's, it's going pretty good. I actually think the biggest hurdles that I've found using Windows are the other apps that I want to use. So for instance, before we hopped on this call, because this is my first time recording a podcast from the Windows side of things, uh, I had to send you a message in Slack. Slack is annoying on Windows. Well, it's annoying really on any platform. But Yeah, um, except for I don't I don't have to re-log in on Mac OS every time I launch the app. Like uh, there's legitimately no way to make it save it. Granted, it is like a button you push. You push like, oh, I'm, I need to log in. And then it takes you to your browser, which will say, oh, you're logged into these workspaces. You have to click another button. Then it'll open up the Slack window again and you'll be signed in. But that's super annoying compared to Mac OS. I just go Alfred Slack, bam, and I'm in. Yep. So that's annoying. And then the other thing that sucks is muscle memory is a little rough because I want to use command. So I hit alt mm-hmm. stuff all the time. And that that is a little bit of a problem. I do have control remap to uh, caps lock. So once I remember what I'm doing, I'm kind of like, okay, cool. It's a caps lock, C, caps lock, B, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But those are probably my biggest uh, pet peeves with it thus far. Granted, I haven't you know spent a thousand hours uh, doing development in Windows. So I am for sure going to find more stuff that annoys me. But uh, that's been my big my big thing for this last week is basically getting my projects up and running on Windows so that I can mess with these things and feel like, okay, I'm not, you know, doing something that I shouldn't be doing with my work computer or something like that. Cool. I, sounds, sounds interesting. Sounds <laughs> like um, I'd probably get more done on, on Windows uh, developing because I wouldn't want to open any other app ever. Uh, mm-hmm. So that'd be cool. There's no good uh, Twitter client for Windows, Shoot. so there is that. 
no good email client. There's no good. Um, <laughs> that's true. I don't check my email ever on Windows. <laughs> that's right. If I do, um, I do it through Chrome and I just like mail.google.com. Yeah. But. Well, that's cool. Um, it kind of sucks that it took your, your whole week to do that, but. Yeah, yeah it was good. just jump through. I mean, let's be real. This is probably me procrastinating. I could have realistically can just continued working on the project just from a shaving, computer. Shave, but, you had some shaves, shave some yaks first. Yeah, yeah. I. it's been a while since I've seen an elusive yak. So I, <laughs> when you find one, you just have to go after it. Title. Cool. But yeah, that's really my entire my entire thing was basically just getting this thing up and running. But now I feel like I can actually uh, get moving with it. And feel is this project it. you're getting moving on? Is this a Luxor project? So you have yep. Luxor yeah, it's a Phoenix app that I'm just working yeah. with. It was my uh, my super nerdy uh, Pokemon deck building collection manager app app that uses LiveView that uh, I was gonna get deployed was my goal, but. Um, I am actually doing a bunch of like database architecture things and making sure because there's a heavy search component to it. So it needs to do like full text search on like a bunch of different fields in order to be able to find the card that you're looking for uh, Mm. based on a lot of different criteria. And so I was using an API to do this. And I actually do this with the API by requesting every card that has ever been printed, which is like 10,000 ish cards. And I hold them in one giant gen server that is a card cache for myself. And then I legitimately just on requests, do a bunch of filtering and it can answer these requests and do the, do the right thing oh, for probably the, so fast, super fast still, but it feels real janky. And I literally can't boot my application if I'm not connected to the internet because it needs to make a request to this API and then, uh, down, like pull those things in and keep them in memory. So I either have to go about adding them by, um, creating like some sort of cache object on disk that I can mm-hmm. kind of s- store these from and then rehydrate them. Or mm-hmm. I need to put them in a database so that I can manage the actual cards that are in the collection, which is probably how I'm going to go. That way I can add like cards that haven't been printed in English yet, but there's like a Japanese version of them. So if somebody wants to look at those and kind of theory craft uh, a deck of 60 cards that they would like to play with, they could do that using the Japanese cards instead of the English ones since they don't exist yet. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so there's little things like that that I, I want to consider, but there's a, a lot of different things to consider because there are different types of cards and different spots on cards where there can be text, but it needs to be searchable and stuff like that. So that is a little bit holding me up before really getting it deployed, because once that's there, then I can actually um, the collection portion of things where I can say, oh, I have three of these or whatever is super easy. Nice. But yeah, so that's that's still my goal for next week. But now I actually have a development environment and I'm I'm working on the project actively at the moment. So. Cool. Are you, uh, are you guys getting back to normal with your babysitting routine? And Yes. Yeah. My uh, mother-in-law is back from vacation uh, for a couple of weeks anyway. Back. And nice. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's, that works out pretty well. And um, thing we're kind of finding some normalcy now that Kendra is back to work also. So it's been, it's been good. Cool. So what's your goals for the next few weeks? Same as they were last time. I basically want to get this database thing figured out and then get this deployed so that I can actually use it and uh, have the bare minimum of what I'm looking for here is I need to be able to search through cards, which I can currently do with in-memory cards, but not database-backed cards, and to basically have login and be able to say, I have X number of this card so I can build up a collection of things. Nice. Cool, man. Excited excited to uh, hear about your progress next time. Yeah, I'm pretty excited too, just because the live view stuff is really fun to work with. 
and I haven't actually had time to work with it recently because I've been working on so much of the database side of things and, and kind of when I have been able to sit down for 10 minutes here and there. Yeah, that'll be nice to kind of talk about that stuff next yep. time as well. I've been looking, I've never really built a live view component for reels. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to hear other people's experience because basically I just take in, you know, demos and things like that that I see and, and see yeah. how it works and all that stuff. So there are some hurdles that I've run into, but I'll, I'll detail them better next time because I'll be more actively. Yeah. Educated. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been working on chronic quite a bit over the last two weeks. One of the things that I finished was the active backgrounds stuff, but when I finished it, I thought it was kind of a pain in the butt to kind of get it set up on the server. So one of the things I wanted to have set up was when you start up a, a timer, right? When you start mm-hmm. your workflow, it's supposed to go off and save whatever that media ID is so that uh, it can be displayed on other devices. Okay. So yep. your same background would be displayed on your, your Mac as it would your mobile and, and all that. I got that working, but then I actually took it out. And the reason I took it out was I wasn't too, I didn't like the API, the server side API that I was doing. Like I didn't know really what to call it. Like if it was plugin state, if it was just state. Uh, and then there's some security issues around there because you could basically store whatever you wanted. And, mm, you know, sure. Yeah. You're kind of opening yeah. up Pandora's box at that point. Right. Assuming this is the feature you would open up to other people who are writing plugins anyway. Yeah. Well, that's my goal. Mm-hmm. So I took it out because uh, I didn't really want to expand the core set of of Chronic without like really diving into it. And since we don't really have another client anyway right now, I, I know it needs to be done, but uh, the best way to go about it, I'm not sure yet. And also I realized like doing this on all the clients, um, which is basically just going to the Active Backgrounds API, getting getting some active backgrounds, assigning it to a given Pomodoro for a given time, and then also taking that state and pushing it to the server so that other people can use that state. It was just a big pain in the butt. And so I sat Mm -hmm. down one afternoon and kind of designed what it would look like if all this was taken care of on the server so that the server actually ran the plugins. And it was based a lot of the work that you previously did like right when we started working on chronic we knew we were going to have plugins and how would those kind of work on the server and so a lot of like the skeleton was there so like you know hey run this when uh this event happens gotcha integrations and kind of the life cycles that events that exist for that stuff yep and so i went and i designed this all out kind of in a in a github issue GitLab issue uh, which brings me to another kind of side tangent is I wish I wish like GitHub and GitLab had this idea that not everything is like an issue, but it's like um, it's kind of like a short lived document type of thing that you could split out into issues later, which you can make work with with the issues that they have now. But so that's what I kind of did is I made this kind of really long issue, spelled stuff out, made some pseudo code, um, kind of got that all designed. And the idea being that the next thing that I implement, which is going to be sounds, I'm going to start on the server and build this up at the server, um, knowing what I know now about the active background stuff. So um, that's my goal um, is to kind of move the active background stuff into kind of a server side type of running. 
Gotcha. So is this going to be basically, so based on what I know about the integrations implementation that I wrote like two years ago at this point, Mm -hmm. are you going to have this just kind of, you're going to have an integration that sends uh, some sort of payload to your client to say like, this is what the background image should be on tick or something? Yeah. So the idea is to have this configuration file. Now, whether this file quote unquote is like uh, a YAML file or JSON file that gets saved in the database or whatever that storage mechanism is mm-hmm. basically this storage mechanism will basically say, or this configure configuration file will say when I get to a tick event called this callback URL, or when I get to workflows completed, call this callback URL and then send it this payload. And then what you get back will be uh, the manipulation of what should be in the state. Okay. So now that, once I started designing that, like I realized that's not going to work. So like if you have a tick event, right. And you're waiting for Mm -hmm. this payload to be updated and you're calling this HTTP callback that could take more than a second. Right. It could hopefully not, but it totally could. Yeah. Yeah. So there needs to be some, like I found like little holes in this architecture where some more thinking needs to be done around, but I'm not obviously going to spend the time doing that now. It's just when I go to implement it, I know kind of what the rabbit holes are and mm-hmm. and uh, what to look for. So I found that really helpful to like, you know, instead of like designing this on the fly and finding stuff that's not going to work, is just sitting down and thinking about how this architecture should work. So isn't this kind of funny, like spinning it back around? Because <laughs> this is the sort of concept where somebody be like, oh, but this is big upfront design, you know? Mm-hmm. But this is where that dichotomy has always existed where you're like, well, you have to design something like you can't right. do, like just going into uh, something you're building blind is like a really crazy move that a lot of people go down. I mean, and what you're doing is not the thing where I'm going to design my entire application before I write a, a single line of code. I think like upfront design for features is yeah. a perfect idea. Like I've yeah, never understood th- where you would get people in like an agile space who would be like, don't do big upfront design. You never know less than you know right now. I'm like, right. yeah, but I know, I know what I need to do. Like I know yeah. the end goal. Why don't I start with the end goal and move backwards until I'm, you know, at least have a first step or something. Yeah. For like big architectural like features like this, like I've always, not always, not that I've always done it, but I've, I've always found it helpful to kind of think through what that big idea is and then do the kind of quote unquote agile type of shit where you're designing little sub features of that big overall feature, but you know what their overall thing is supposed to look like and do mm-hmm. and you've thought through all that stuff. Um, yeah, I found that find that always find that helpful. So I like the, uh, um, I don't remember who's the 30 by 500 woman. Um, yes. Philadelphia freckle. Anywho, her name doesn't matter in this particular case. Look up 30 by 500. It's the thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. but I I was reading something from her where it was basically like, you know, starting a project and kind of start with the end goal. And then you basically make a tree of like dependencies from there. It's like, all right, to, to do this step, what do I need for the next thing? And then you think back and you're like, well, I can't do that unless I have this and this and this. And then for each of those steps, you would have another node in the tree. You're kind of like starting at the right and working your way left. And you're building up like the, until you get a leaf node where you're like, oh, I can actually start on this. Like this is a thing that can be done by itself and can, kick off the next like couple features and i've been doing that's like how i've been thinking about projects for quite a while now yeah and yeah uh amy hoy is her name 
Ah, there you go. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So that was really helpful. And um, so that's what I'm going to get into next. I'll talk about what I'm going to use that for, but uh, I found that helpful. And, and I also found it as a good exercise to say, Hey, can I even move this to the server? Does this make sense? Uh, Cause that's really the answer I went in to ask uh, to answer. And I found out, yeah, it probably makes more sense to, to kind of do this on the server, keeping with the whole, like make the clients as dumb as possible or, or you know, having mm-hmm. to implement the least amount of work on the clients. So, yeah. It's an interesting use for the tick event for sure. When, yes. when I was building out the, uh, the, well, I'm like, okay, what does a timer have? That's like lifecycle hooks or whatever. The, the, the thing that I was looking at the, like, what would be something I would potentially want to run? It was never something that was time sensitive. It was always like, oh, on like, I had the kind of the trolley idea of like, you could rig it up to send a text message on tick, like a text, mm-hmm. sending a text message would be an integration that you could put on any lifecycle event. And it, it would totally function right because you as the person using the application probably don't care about the thing that is being sent on tick like it can be asynchronously done and you're you're good if it doesn't come back right away but this is something that like synchronously like you do care you're like this needs to be done in a timely fashion because otherwise it's not going to make sense and like the next event is going to over is going to run away with uh what you were trying to do with the previous event yeah so um actually we're not i'm not the only thing that needs to be done on on tick in the um, active backgrounds is actually something that's on the client. So basically on tick, what we want to see is like, did this time pass this threshold so that I need to show the next stage of this background and mm-hmm. that's all done on the client. So oh, I'm actually okay. not, not sure um, where that's going to fit in yet. Like, so one of the major um, events that we, the active backgrounds has to plug into is this workflows completed event, which happens like, hey, this workflow instance or this workflow step has been completed and now I'm going to run the next workflow event. And in that time is when you need to uh, get the new um, background that's going to show and and display that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And so there's a there's kind of a balance there of like, okay, this, this workflow's tick event is important, but do we want to instant... Um, initialize that on the server or does that make more sense to initialize on the client since the client just has to check and then how does that affect the state? So there's like all these interacting or, um, you know, all these factors that interplayed with each other that are still kind of a little bit foggy, but I'm, I'm much clearer on what, what needs to happen and when, and those other questions that came up probably won't be able to be answered in this sort of like big upfront design thing. Those are more, like getting into the weeds and what feels feels right when you're actually implementing it. But there's a lot less of those decisions now that need to happen while you're building the the feature. If that makes gotcha. any sense. Yeah, no, I, I completely get it. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, so I'm excited about that. And I'm going to get started on that with the next feature I'm going to talk about um, for the next time. But the other few things that I did last couple of weeks is I fixed the login bug. So I wanted like ah. login to be remembered for, uh, I think I had it for 60 days and it was only remembering, I found out for two hours, which is the default. So I was like, something is not, yeah. I saw this pull request come through and I was like, yep, that was me. That was totally me. I remember, uh, cause I, didn't I upgrade us to joking 2.0 or something like that? Uh huh. 
And that would have probably been when it got broken, I think. Oh, okay. So no, I think uh, what happened, um, yes. There, so there was, we're using Jokin for our uh, JWT token um, claim thingy uh, library. And I went back and I was like, why? So we are implementing it this one way where you can set uh, the default uh, expiration. You can set it with um, sort of like a setting within the module. And mm-hmm. that's what we were doing. So we were setting it to 60 days in there, but it was still two hours, which is the default. So something wasn't taking. And I went back through the, through like even before 2.0, the documentation. And I went through like the tests that they had in the library. And I don't know how I got to, this is how you set the default <laughs> expiration because that was like never implemented <laughs> the way that, that, I implemented it and oh, joking. Interesting. Yeah. So once I figured out, like, I don't know where the hell this came from. Um, I w- actually wrote a test and, and fixed it that way. So that should be, I'll be working. It's been less than, you know, a week since I fixed that and deployed that. So we'll figure, uh, but all the tests work and all that stuff. So are you still signed in? I'm still signed in Ooh, um, several nice. different places. So. And that was the other thing that, that kind of came up is like deploying all these changes that I'm making. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And like I really didn't know how Chronic was being deployed and how Active Backgrounds was being deployed. So I had to pick your brain a few times with that, update the documentation so I can deploy and, you know, open up a, open up the logs and, and run an interactive uh, Elixir session and things like that on the server. How are so. you feeling about those things? Good, good. Yeah, good. Just different uh, commands uh, doing the same things that I normally do on like Heroku or something like that. So just SSH yeah, into there's stuff. There's a lot and, of little little things in there where it's like, oh, how do I look at my logs? And it's like, yes. well, you got to use this command that comes with system D, which is the yeah. process runner on Ubuntu. And yeah, just going around. So I'm like, there's, there's a lot of inherent knowledge kind of required to, to do some of these things. And I'm like, I really wish I had done a better job of uh, making this a little more succinct. But yeah. yeah, that's, I was just using the, the things that were there and I was trying to avoid building new tools to make things a little bit easier as we were going along the way. But have you seen brew X? I don't brew know if that's X. how you spell it, but no, I have or not. If that's how you say it, but it's uh, kind of like Heroku for Elixir. So a lot of these things, Oh, that I know what you're talking about. Yeah, set up. yeah. They're just getting started on it. So it's nothing that's like far along, but it's kind of the idea. As far as I see, but gotcha. uh, kind of the, some of the things that you did with, with chronic and uh, I'm not sure if that's how they're implementing it, but some of those things are kind of built into what, what their plans are. So their plans point. are to make it to where it can do hot module reloading. I think so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cause that, that is the biggest hurdle. Like mm-hmm. deploying active backgrounds is cake in comparison yeah. to deploying uh, chronic. chronic because chronic needs hot module reloading. Otherwise you lose your state on every single timer when, uh, which, deploy goes. which I did, by the way, I was running, I was running it on device and in the simulator deployed and they're both of those things were pointing to production. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to make sure this still works and deployed it and didn't lose my timers. It's pretty magical, isn't it? It's pretty sweet, man. Yeah. Like yeah. the first time I got it to work, I was like, this, this is insane. Why, why did all <laughs> How does this even work? work? Yeah, this is right. totally nuts. But, then again, wasn't deploying any sort of state change in a gen server. That right, is when exactly. things get weird. But yeah, I don't, if you're, I don't want, 
think about when that happens. But yeah, you figure, well, the, the, the way it actually works is you define like an at variable for versions uh-huh. in your gen server. And then you have a uh, migration path function yep. basically that yep. will handle migrating data. And I'm like, well, that's, that's actually pretty cool. You just need to remember to do it. Well, yeah. And you got to make sure like, like how do you test something like that? Like how do you make sure like what you have is working and that's sure. a good call. Yeah. You'd be, yeah. you'd be a little hard pressed to, to make sure like, okay, this is the ex- actual data that exists on uh, the server. Well, that, that could actually be the way to do it. You'd have to figure out the way to export a, an objects like state from mm-hmm. a, a like running application and then use that in a test somewhere. I imagine you can actually write an automated test to do. Yeah. I would really. imagine too. Cause they're just hooks. They're just function calls. Yeah. But so well, hmm. you can cross that bridge when you get there. I know. Uh, for the time being, I'm going to avoid doing things that require me to do hot module reloading. <laughs> but yeah, it's still still cool. Like I, I think it is amazing that it's there as a thing. Like if you are writing an app that is super sensitive that you don't have any downtime whatsoever, like even for you know the the maybe a second that it would take to deploy it, like stop a container, deploy a new container, mm-hmm. um, then it's so cool that it's just baked into the language. I know. Yes. Yeah, it's cool. So the other thing that uh, I worked on was, uh, oh, I started working on the fix for the for the uh, sleep bug so that when on the device, when the device goes to sleep and, and it wakes back up, it, it doesn't reconnect to the WebSocket somehow. Ah, cool. And testing this is turning out to be kind of a pain in the ass. Um, I can't really mimic it on the simulator. Uh, so oh, I, know you can, gotcha. I know you can turn off and on the simulator, but it doesn't seem to like, uh, you know, in, in elicit the same um, events that may happen on the um, on device. So uh, I'll figure that out for next if time. If it's but... anything like the kind of the Mac app way of doing things, like I never, you know, can sort of like how I was saying, I never got disconnects. Mm-hmm. For like, I wasn't even getting joking timeouts or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I never got it to timeout running the Mac app uh, when t- connected to the local uh, server. So I'm like, I imagine you'll run into similar weird situations when running the simulator. Yeah, which is unfortunate, right? Because then you basically just can't trust the simulator. Which I would think people who work on mobile apps all the time would probably tell you don't trust it anyway. But yeah, uh, yeah that's it's still inconvenient to say the yep. least. But I saw that you were using like ngrok in order to try to to test things locally using uh, real devices and stuff. Yeah, well, the first time I ran it, you know, on device because we're using Expo, and so you can just like you know use the QR code and have it show up on your device, and like mm-hmm. nothing was working. I was like, why is nothing? I was like, oh, everything's pointing to localhost. So you know, like one of the Chronics connected methods, it returns you the the WebSocket URL, mm-hmm. which on development is localhost and Obviously, that's not going to work on device. So I just went around and changed all those to to use ngrok. Gotcha. So all that stuff would work. Uh, so, but I should have more information on on that bug next time. And then the other thing I'm going to work on, like I mentioned before, is the uh, the sounds. So um, I need a cool name for it too. Besides sounds, like I need a cool name for the feature. <laughs> um, uh, hmm. Yeah, we'll so, think about that. Yeah, I'll come. I'll come at you with some some names for next time. So. All right. So that's all good. I got, man. Well, cool. I'm excited to uh, see how the progress goes. You made a lot of progress these over the last two weeks. So mm-hmm. um, it's neat to see all that stuff coming together. Pretty soon I'll start the Mac app again. So all excited right. about that.
Cool. Well, I will talk to you in two weeks. All right, man. Talk to you. Bye. Bye.